back home Gave me a green uniform and black boots for my feet. Eighteen and wild as hell, I thought it would be neat. They put me on a plane to some strange foreign land. I said goodbye to mom and dad and hello to Uncle Sam. Everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boneyard. For those who don't know me, I'm Doc, but I'm kind of hoping to be a household name by now. Hey guys, I'm going to throw out a serious question today. What happens when a warrior leaves the battlefield? Is there a sense of elation? Sense of job well done? Sense of mission accomplished? Maybe feelings of guilt for those who haven't came back? We're going to explore that today from a veteran's perspective. Uh, for those of you who may not know, I spent approximately 10 and a half months in Iraq as a medic in 2004. I flew out of Iraq on December 26th and left the theater of operations on December 28th. Now here's the kind of crazy thing. Left the theater of operations on December 28th, 2004. Got back to the States on December 28th, 2004. Now, how in the hell did that happen? Well, folks, the International Dateline came into play. After we landed in Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, we were given a whirlwind tour, did the DD-214 shuffle, and basically was out-processed from Title 10 off of active duty. Yes, I deployed with a National Guard unit to Iraq, and a little background information on that. Uh, technically, I was out of the military. I saw that a local National Guard unit, an Alabama National Guard unit, as a matter of fact, was deploying in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. So, being a medic, being a dumbass, I figured I might have something to contribute. So, lo and behold, went down, signed the paperwork, and it was off to war I went. And I gotta give a shameless plug and shout out to my brothers at the 115th Expeditionary Signal Battalion, Alpha Company, the Alabama National Guard. Okay, kind of got off track there for a second, folks, but I'm back. Hey, we uh, out-processed at Fort McCoy, Wisconsin. Took about two days, so by December 30th, 2004, our plane touched down in Huntsville, Alabama, and it was back to the world, or so I thought. Little did I know that once I left the battlefield, the battle didn't stop there. The battle just continued just a different battlefield. Now, for my fellow combat veterans and brothers out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those who haven't been in battle, haven't been in combat, haven't been in harm's way, let me tell you, 
Once you get off that plane and touch foot at American soil, that switch just doesn't flip off. That switch is still going strong. So basically from March 4th, 2004, hell, basically after I uh, touched down on American soil, terra firma, I was still running on adrenaline, still in that mind frame. Now I can't say much about the uh, decompression process now uh, that the Army goes through, but back then in 2004, uh, if you were in the National Guard, deployed overseas, and came back, you were basically given a DD-214, kicked in the ass, and saying, hey, thanks for your service, catch you later. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I really wasn't feeling the love from the U.S. Army at that point. We were given a few in-country briefings uh, before redeploying. Uh, we filled out a couple of questionnaires about our service, about our time in Iraq, but basically, there was no time to decompress. Once we get off that plane, you're pretty much on your own. Nobody said, hey, look, this is what you might expect. These are some of the problems that might happen. None of that. So basically, what the fuck? I left the war zone, was back in the U.S., totally unprepared for what was going to come next, fighting battles over and over in my head. So what did I do to cope? Well, I turned on Fox News and watched combat footage all day, every day. I was trying to recapture what I couldn't be a part of anymore, what was real to me at that point. Now, I'm only speaking from personal experience, but I gotta tell you, part of me just didn't want to be here, to be quite honest with you. Uh, combat is an adrenaline rush. It's a it's a thing that feeds on you and you feed on it. And honestly, when I was in Iraq, that was all that matters. That was the here, the now, the big story, the big fishbowl, so to speak. Home wasn't a, a thing. It was more of an idea. And aside from it being just an idea, it was kind of more like an abstract thought. Uh, now, I'm sure that a lot of the guys I serve with thought about what they were going to do once they got back and, and all that, which was great. But my time was totally mission-focused on what I was doing. Couldn't allow myself to to think about things that just, quite frankly, didn't matter at that time. Uh, the men, the mission, bringing everybody back in one piece, that was my main concern. What the hell went on back on the home front? Eh, I couldn't do shit about it anyway, so pretty much why, why worry about it? It was out of sight, out of mind. Now, I'm sure some of you out there might think, well, gee, Doc, it's pretty fucking selfish if you ask me. How can you not be concerned about what's going on on the home front? Well, as I just said, there wasn't shit I could do about it. I was 7,000 miles away and, you know, couldn't hop on a plane and be home in 10 minutes. So, you do what you gotta do. Hey, the name of the game was survival. Whether it was physical or emotional, you do what you gotta do to come home in one piece. So, like I said, home was an abstract idea. Well, now I was faced with that abstract idea, and it wasn't just an idea. It was a reality. What in the hell am I gonna do now? I'm still in that wartime mentality, still living off adrenaline, still perceiving everything as a hostile threat, or correction, a potential hostile threat at that point. 
I wasn't in a position to drive when I first got back, for obvious reasons. Uh, Vehicle-borne IEDs, roadside trash, which could conceal an explosive device of some sort, and we faced that threat all the time. I didn't go out, for obvious reasons. Uh, I was Mentally, my mind hadn't made that connection that I was safe. Of course, in my own mind, I wasn't safe. Everything was a potential threat. Crowds, sudden noises, smells. I know it sounds crazy, but yes, smells. Iraq had a particularly nasty-ass smell. Uh, there wasn't real sanitation, so people shit where they shit, and the place stunk. I wasn't sleeping. When I did sleep, I had nothing but nightmares. While I was awake, nothing but flashbacks. Of course, it didn't help that I was watching combat footage almost 24-7, yeah, that kind of fed the fire, I guess. And let's face it, folks, I was in my own eternal hell, so to speak. Uh, I was fighting my war in my head. Of course, no one could see what was going on. The only thing they could tell was, was something wasn't right with this guy. It was during the first few weeks, being back in the States, that the anxiety started. Started out kind of innocent enough. But let me tell you, after a while, it turned into a real bitch. It got so bad that I actually had to ask for help. And being a former medic, that wasn't something I was used to doing. I was used to dealing with the problem and solving it myself. So I made an appointment with my family physician and got prescribed some medication for anxiety. Like I said before, I can only speak from personal experience, but I will say this. It takes a lot for a warrior to ask for help, to admit they cannot handle the problem. Just going to the doctor for some anxiety medication was a pretty big step. I had to be honest with myself and admit that I couldn't face this problem by myself. Sure as hell couldn't fix it because, quite frankly, didn't quite understand what was going on or why it was going on. So basically at this point I had been back in the world for uh, approximately a month as the crow flies. Had no prospect for gainful employment at that time and depression started to set in. And like I talked about in my first podcast, that's an ugly slippery slope to go down. And once you go down that rabbit hole, man, it's hard as hell to pull yourself back out of it. I really didn't have a support network in place because my family, quite frankly, didn't know how to deal with me. They didn't know what the problem was, only that I wasn't quite right in the head. There were no available resources in the town I was living in at the time. Uh, the, the local VA, so to speak, was approximately three hours away. That was a hike, I gotta tell you. So what happened? Well... My depression turned to anger. The mood swings got violent. Not violent enough that I was a danger to myself and others, but I was unpredictable in nature. I'd fly off the handle for no apparent reason. Yeah, we talked about triggers in the first episode. I had no idea what the hell they were, if I had them or not. All I know is I'd be fine one minute, next minute I'd be a raving lunatic. Wife and kids were paranoid. They were terrified 
They didn't know who the hell this monster was that roamed the quiet countryside in their house. And I'm going to plagiarize a movie quote here. King Kong ain't got shit on me. That came from Training Day, by the way. Can't take credit for that movie. That was uh, Denzel Washington's ad lib. Here's an interesting sidebar or side note. As I mentioned in the first episode, I mentioned about the uh, the two kids that I almost shot and killed. Well, my kids were pretty much around the same age. So I was constantly reminded of that day in and day out. Uh, I was afraid to be around them. Didn't really quite know how to handle that and didn't really want to be around them. To tell you the truth, I was kind of wrapped up in my own little world. So needless to say, that put a put a damper on the marriage thing going on. Or I should say not going on at that point. Uh, we were having problems before I deployed and things sure as hell got worse from there. Uh, things kind of came into a, uh, a culmination, I would say, around October. Uh, in October, I became homeless. The uh, soon-to-be ex packed up the kids, took off to her to her dad's house, and old Doc was left to fend for himself. So, yeah, I was homeless. I was uh, what many consider one of those disposable human beings, the kind you see pushing a shopping cart with all their worldly possessions. Yeah, <laughs> that was my new reality. What was it like to be homeless? Quite frankly, it was a humbling experience. And I learned lessons during that time that I would not take a million dollars for. They were life-changing. I learned a valuable lesson in humility firsthand. I gotta tell you, there's nothing more humbling than standing in a... Uh, a line waiting to be served at a homeless shelter. And uh, I want to give a uh, shameless plug and shout out to the uh, wonderful folks at the Salvation Army that uh, gave me a home when I needed it. Kind of helped me get back on my feet. So I'll, I'll be forever grateful to that. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, I was not happy I was homeless. But there was a bright spot. I had applied for... Uh, shitload of jobs with the state of Georgia. And I did get hired by uh, the Department of Public Health. Of course, I didn't start that job for a couple of weeks after I was homeless, but there was light at the end of the tunnel. So let's go back to the whole homeless thing. What was it like to be a disposable human being, so to speak? Well, I had to be out of the shelter by a certain time each morning. Had nothing to do, no place to go, nothing to keep myself occupied with. So I wandered around. Eventually, I found solace and solitude at the uh, local library. Was able to check out books and kind of go to the park and just hang out. Of course, one of the first books I picked up was a uh, story about a Marine who died in Iraq. It was called Shane Came Home, and it was a real eye-opener little side note about that book. There is no honor in dying on the battlefield. That's just my humble opinion. But the way the U.S. Marine Corps, their casualty assistance officers, deal with the remains, the logistics of getting the fallen Marine back home, planning the service, was quite honorable, i got to say, and I was really impressed by that. Sorry, folks, had another squirrel moment. So, getting back to this homeless thing, 
I thought I learned about sacrifice and service being in the military, but let me tell you, I had a humbling experience while at the Salvation Army's Red Shield Lodge in Albany, Georgia. I had the opportunity of working in the uh, the meal line, helping to serve the meals every night to, uh, to those who came in. And let me tell you, it was a wonderful experience to see the look of gratitude on their faces as I served them their evening meal. And I got just as much out of it as I'm sure they did. It was during that period, around Thanksgiving, I guess it was, that I was uh, selected to uh, have my story presented in The War Cry, which is the, uh, the publication put out by the Salvation Army. I was humbled and flattered that they would take interest in, in my story. But the resident manager, a guy named Keith, sat down with me one night, asked me questions. I was forthright, and uh, he submitted the article, and it was published. I still have a copy of that magazine to this day, as a matter of fact. So what was it like being homeless and living at the Salvation Army's Red Shield Lodge? Well, it was basically set up like a dormitory, or like an army barracks, kind of, to be honest with you. Uh, there were double rows of bunks on each side of the male dormitory. Uh, there was a communal bathroom with, you know, the obvious amenities. Uh, the only difference was uh, I was in a room with folks that didn't practice good hygiene. Uh, I'm going to let your imagination wander with that. The residents of the male dormitory basically had everything they could carry with them. There wasn't much room for a change of clothes or uh, personal hygiene items. I was fortunate I was able to bring a duffel bag full of clothing and personal items with me. Uh, things that I had packed before I had to vacate the uh, house that I was sharing at the time with uh, my soon-to-be ex and, and children in uh, Cordell, Georgia. Now, it was during this time also that I uh, started the framework for a, uh, a manuscript that I was starting to write about my experiences in Iraq. Uh, I titled it My Wounded Journey. I still have the manuscript. To tell you the truth, I don't know if I'll ever get it published. Uh, it's kind of like uh, giving birth and pushing your kid out the door and having to fend for himself. I just don't think I'm ready to do that. But, you know, you never know. So, for me, life went on. My circumstances being what they were, hey, there was no point in bitching or moaning about it. It was what it was. And like I said before, it was a life-changing moment, or a series of moments. So, my job with the state started. Uh, really not going to go into too much detail on that. Uh, suffice to say that uh, I started work in November of 2005, and uh, that came to an abrupt conclusion in October 2009, and there's an interesting backstory to that. Ah, shit, another squirrel moment. Sorry, little squirrels are running around today, little bastards. Uh, I want to give a uh, shout-out to a uh, wonderful woman who helped me get a second chance. Uh, I was able to leave the Red Shield Lodge on December 23rd, 2005, uh, with the help of this wonderful woman named Sonia. With her help, I was able to secure a, a, uh, a one-bedroom townhouse. And 
was able to start rebuilding from there. Uh, I had not really much of anything. I had the clothes on my back, clothes in my bag, a few amenities here and there, but you know, you got to start from somewhere. Not complaining, folks. I'm glad it happened because uh, I've built quite a quite a good life since then for myself. Now, having said that, I will say this. No one gets through life alone. We all need help. We all need a support network. Uh, here's an interesting side note. I actually went back to the uh, Salvation Army Red Shield Lodge sometime later and actually worked as the uh, weekend resident manager. Kind of a uh, pay it forward kind of moment. And believe me, I could really appreciate what it was like to be there. Uh, I knew exactly what it was like because, let's face it, folks, I was there. I will say this about being homeless. It can happen at any time, any moment. A change in your circumstances for the worse, and it can happen. There's no shame in that. I met some wonderful people that were homeless. Really, really good people that just... Through no fault of their own, had some real shitty circumstances, and, you know, that's the hand that life dealt them. Now, on the same token, there were some that just said, well, the hell with it. I'm going to I'm gonna hit the pause button and uh, check out for a little bit. And some of them made that decision to become homeless. Of course, some were uh, victims of uh, drug abuse and alcohol abuse, and it does happen. And I was blessed and fortunate at that time, not to be headed down that road. Of course, that happened you know, a couple of years later. And we talked about that in uh, our first episode. So, why did I have to become homeless? Well, I think that was uh, the good Lord's way of saying, uh, Hey, uh, Doc, uh, I think you need to wake up and smell the coffee, buddy. You know, it's not about you. It's about what you do and how you pay it back. And that was a hard lump to swallow. That was a uh, really rough pill to get down. Hey guys, I want to switch gears just a little bit and uh, share with you something that I wrote. Uh, kind of a cathartic moment back in uh, 2018. Uh, that's what it's called, December 18th, 2018. I want to come home. These are five words I thought I would never find myself saying. It scared me to death to even think about it. Just saying those words out loud gave me a knot in the pit of my stomach. Where have I been all this time? Well, I've been locked up inside myself for the past 14 years. As a prisoner of PTSD, I didn't realize that I had the key to unlock the shackles that bound me all along. I was captive through no fault of my own choosing, but I had succumbed to the will of a power that I thought was greater than myself. The war in Iraq dominated a huge part of my consciousness. The reality of combat was something I carried with me even as I departed the war zone. I intentionally replaced my combat reality with the one that has haunted me for all these years. I still relieve my experiences in the form of nocturnal battles. They'll probably never go away as my mind tries to deal with the insanity of war. The constant fear of the unknown is something I battle with every day. The specters of depression and anxiety continue to pursue me. While I may not be able to fully win those two battles, I am able to choose the ground I stand and fight on. And there are times when I might have to fall back, regroup, and re-engage the enemy, but I will never accept surrender. On December 28th, 2018, 
I finally came home. Wow, sharing that just uh, kind of gives me chills to uh, to relive that moment. Hey, if you guys have uh, thoughts, ideas, comments, criticisms, or hell, whatever, just want to uh, drop a line and say hi, my email address is theboneyard2021 at yahoo.com. That's theboneyard2021 at yahoo.com. I'm a big boy. I can take it. I want to personally thank each one of you for taking time out of your busy schedule and your busy day to listen to me ramble on incessantly. I look forward to future podcasts, and like I said, if I could put a hand out or hand up to somebody, maybe this might be their page and their survival guide. Remember, it's nothing but the bare bones.